0: Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Tuesday, November 29th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by political writer Tal Schneider and U.S. correspondent Jacob Magid. Hello, good morning to you both. Good morning, Jessica. Hi,
1: Jessica. Hi, Tal.
0: Hi there. So we'll discuss what's happening in the Knesset, the Biden administration's relationship with the new government, and more on former President Trump's dinner with Kanye West and Holocaust denier Nick Fuentes. Before we jump into everything... Let's take a quick break.
2: A scrappy army fighting three enemies, an unlikely victory, and a country forever changed. Join host Dr. Noam Weissman for a special Unpacking Israeli History mini-series where he shares the story of the Six-Day War as you've never heard it before. Travel back to 1967 as Noam recounts the tense lead-up to war, the fierce battles fought, and the aftermath that continues to affect Israel to this day. But what led to this war? How did Israel emerge victorious? And how have the outcomes impacted Israel's position in the region and the world between then and now? Unpack the six days that changed Israel forever in this three-part special of Unpacking Israeli History. Listen to these episodes and more, wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media.
0: Before Tal gets us started, I'm going to make a quick plug for our upcoming Times of Israel live event on December 6th, when we will screen award-winning cinema Sabaya in English with Israel's Oscar nominee, director Orit Fuchs Rotem at Yes Planet in Jerusalem. Look at the Times Israel site for more information and tickets. And now, Tal, tell us what was happening in the Knesset yesterday as this new government is being put together, and we see the headlines about who is being appointed what. What can you tell us?
3: Right, Jessica. So... The Likud and the religious Zionists did not sign a coalition agreement yet. This morning, uh, Tuesday, they issued a you know a statement together, saying that you know they managed to get through some of the issues and they will, you know, at least come together and replace the, the speaker of the Knesset. Netanyahu has to decide who the speaker is going to be. Uh, According to the statement, it's going to be an interim uh, speaker of the Knesset, but we know that the interim speaker of the Knesset may remain in his uh, role. So an interim um, speaker of the Knesset or speaker of the Knesset may start to move forward the new bills that this coalition wants to change even before the government is sworn in this is very important it seems technical but really the idea is to change the bill that allow uh, Derry, the chairman of Shas, to become a minister. Uh, Derry has a problem. He was convicted for his second time in life. the The second uh, offense was a tax evasion offense. It, it was convicted around eight or ten months ago, and you know he stood in front of the court and promised not to go back into the public life and not to be responsible to public, you know, funds. Now he, he is um, slated to become the interior minister and the health minister, and in all order for Derry to overcome whatever his statements were at the time, I mean, upon his statement at the time, the judge signed a plea bargain and gave him a very light uh, sentence, uh, not sitting in jail and anything like that. Like they said, the said, the fine was also light. So, in order to overcome that, he is now he wants to change the law and the law need, needs to be changed before the government will be sworn in so that's one issue it's i know it sounds unbelievable this is the way they are tricking the rule of law in israel i suppose i mean i'm not laughing but you know it's it's, it's sad
0: but this is this is how it goes now is there anything that can happen in the Knesset itself by the opposition let's say that would prevent derry from going through with this process in order to become a minister?
3: So you may ask about filibuster, I suppose. I guess so. Uh, Yeah, but they have a 64 majority. It's quite easy to overcome a filibuster. Uh, They can just use one of the clauses of the Knesset bylaws and announce this process as urgent or so. Uh, And then the filibuster can go on, I guess, for uh, maybe... You know, several hours during overnight, but really they can't re- they can't really stop it. The opposition can can yell, can can ridicule, can uh, you know put all of the alarms. But I suppose the the coalition, the the future coalition, has you know once they have the chairman in spot, they have all of the powers to kind of overcome the opposition's
1: uh, maneuvering. So. Tal I know um that the government wants or this incoming government wants to do a Supreme Court override law, but before they do that, is there a chance that the Supreme Court could say that Derry is not fit to be a minister because of his conviction
3: exactly they can come you know someone can take it up i mean I'm sure someone will take it to the High Court claiming the the bill specifically to make dairy a minister is uh, both retroactive um, legislation and personal legislation. This is two components of Israel's law that but, uh I mean, again, they can at the same time, they can with the 64 majority at the same time, they can they can also pass the override uh, clause that will, um, you know, that will just override everything the Supreme Court says. There's another bill suggestion like that. So
1: truly. um So you think Derry's going to be minister no matter what? I say this is a done deal. <laughs> uh it,
3: it it is unbelievable times in, in Israel. I mean there are you know this uh, future coalition plans anyhow to change m- much of Israel's constitutional um bills with respect to the um separation of powers with respect to the stand of the Supreme Court. I just wanted to mention one more thing from yesterday. This was the faction meeting of Avi Maoz, the chairman of Noam Party. We know Avi Maoz to be Uh, against LGBT communities, against women. This is not just, you know, um, me describing him. This is his own words. Um, Maoz uh, is actually a one-person show because he is sitting in a faction that belongs to just one person himself. So there were no MKs in the faction meeting. There were only reporters. Maoz actually signed a coalition agreement as well, with Netanyahu, um, when his party signed an agreement with the Likud, he will be granted uh, a deputy minister in the prime minister office. This sounds another kind of technical arrangement. He will be responsible to so many things. I'm I'm just trying to explain to our listeners, uh, because uh yesterday, for the first time I've I've met him, I've you know I've asked him a question. Um um, one of the things that he will get res- uh, responsibility is the conversion issue on Russian immigrants.
0: On who is a Jew, Let's, essentially that's what it is. On
3: the organization, the, the governmental organization called Nativ. If you want to uh, further understand the meaning of this, you should go into Times of Israel website and, and, and read what Nativ is and what Avi Maoz can and cannot do. Basically, uh, any person who can come to Israel under the law will be scrutinized uh, by Avi Maoz. And Avi Maoz doesn't want people who were not, Converted or uh, converted in his own opinion uh, as as uh, ultra orthodox or orthodox, he doesn't want them here. Uh, Him and he says that out loud. Um, He said last night, "I will act under the law," but again, as we all know, the law can be changed. And also, he wants to have this new uh, governmental body that is called um, the Center for. Jewish national and identity under the prime minister office. In that center, he wants to scrutinize any kind of NGO that is invited to speak with Israel's uh, IDF soldiers, Israel's policemen, or Israel's high schoolers. Any NGO that wants to, you know, th- I mean, we're talking about thousands and thousands of NGOs and organizations that are giving services to IDF and and the police and and high schoolers in Israel. Um, for example, he want to make sure that uh, high school in Israel do not invite LGBT communities, NGOs or lecturers to talk to teenagers. This is a great step, as we know. Many high schoolers need those services in order to overcome issues during high school. So, you know, I don't know how many authorities really have under that role, but this is uh, definitely giving him a national, you know, stage to to at least bring it to the to, to national
0: discourse. We'll obviously keep on following this very closely. Thanks, Tal. We're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, Jacob will tell us how the Biden administration is approaching this new government.
2: With what seems like an endless amount of information at our fingertips, we tend to forget that wondering about things is really part of the journey to finding answers we're looking for. So, when it comes to the hot topics of Israel, Judaism, and Zionism, there's so much to wonder about right now that it's hard to know where to turn. Enter the latest weekly podcast from Unpacked, Wondering Jews with Michal and Noam. Join hosts and educator extraordinaires Michal Biton and Noam Weissman as they tackle these topics and the uncomfortable questions that surround them with the goal of working towards the answers together with their listeners. And tune in for a special episode featuring a fellow wanderer, Khaviv Retig-Gur, out now. No matter where you're from, if you've ever wondered about anything, this is the podcast for you. Subscribe to Wandering Jews with Michal and Noam on your favorite podcast app today. Wandering Jews is brought to you by Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media.
0: Okay, we're back. Jacob fill us in about what you're hearing from the Biden administration, from officials, what they are thinking and planning with regard to their approach and relationship with the new government that's being formed in Israel.
1: Yeah, so um, you can understand a little bit from a call that took place at the beginning of the month when Biden reached out to Bibi and congratulated him uh, on becoming the next prime minister. And there was a readout that the White House issued right afterwards, talk, kind of used similar uh, rhetoric than what we to what we've been hearing before, talking about strengthening the relationship and how Biden is committed to Israel security. And then U.S. Ambassador to Israel Tom Nides uh, tweeted out uh, it was a very short tweet. it said, "Warm phone call, great talk, unbreakable ties," and it was kind of uh, using this writing style that's very reminiscent to uh, former President Donald Trump. And I think that just talks it shows how. They kind of wanted to be like the, that era where ties between the, the at least the governments were quite close, and you could say the same thing about Biden and and Netanyahu that they have pretty good ties, very storied ties over several decades. But the same can't really be said about Bibi's coalition partners. And I spoke with one senior U.S. official who said who also harped on the fact that they have good ties, the two leaders, but. He acknowledged that there's going to be a very challenging period ahead, um, hinting at some of his partners. Um, but that period has actually already started. Um, what we saw a couple of weeks ago was the FBI decision to open up a investigation into the killing of the Palestinian American journalist Shireen Abu Akleh, which infuriated Israel. Um, and what was interesting about this is that it wasn't a really a White House decision. It was what I reported that, um, this was something that White House was caught off guard. U.S. Ambassador Tom Nides was caught off guard. That it was coming from the FBI, um, the Justice Department, which made this, this independent decision. And it kind of just shows how Biden's control over U.S. Israel policy is somewhat limited. And that what actually ended up happening in this case was it wasn't him, but it was this resu- this decision by the FBI was as a result of pressure from Democratic lawmakers um, who Biden has even acknowledged himself in a call with Netanyahu. Um, last year that this is not the same Democratic Party that we once maybe knew that kind of fell in line with the Israeli narrative. And it's not just progressives and the squad, the quote-unquote squad that aren't following in line with the Israeli narrative, but also more moderates. And there were several of, of those more moderate Democrats like Bob Menend- Robert Menendez and Brad Sherman, who have publicly spoken out or reached out to Netanyahu to really warn ahead of the election, which is quite uh, unusual to see some sort of interference in, in internal Israeli affairs, but they still felt it was so necessary to do to speak out, speak out against Yitamar Ben-Gvir, who who is now set to become the national security minister. Um, and it wasn't just them, but also the State Department made a uh, very rare statement calling it the celebration of uh, Mayor Kahana that, that Ben-Gvir attended uh, the ceremony a couple weeks ago, abhorrent. Um, so there's already this, this bubbling tension that's gonna, I think, come to the fold. It's worth noting, though, that I think the issue on which Netanyahu has been really willing to butt heads publicly with the with a Democratic administration before Iran, that you can say right now is not likely to be the main issue on which they're going to spar. I think in the coming months, given the fact that the negotiations to revive the deal have gone nowhere, Um, and I think it's just the the Biden administration is not really thinking about that issue right now. But what the issue that they do like to talk about when they reach out to the Israeli and Palestinian leaders is the is the Palestinian issue. Um, and specifically the issue of Jerusalem um, and East Jerusalem to be even more specific, be, be it on the Temple Mount and, and tensions there or in Sheikh Jarrah, where there are these uh, Palestinian families that are facing eviction. And when you have a minister now that's likely going to be in charge of the police, who's kind of see, been seen as the face of, of of More right-wing policies in, in Sheikh Jarrah. He he built a makeshift office there to support those evictions, and and he's talked about just yesterday going going to the Temple Mount uh, in the coming weeks. So those things kind of led to the violence that, uh, or not, I wouldn't say led, but they did. Uh, they came before the violence that um, we saw in May 2021 that that blew up into a war. And the Biden administration since has really honed in on Jerusalem and trying to prevent that from happening again. So I think it'll be much harder to do so um, when you have a minister like that. And I think that will be an issue where they are going to be willing to put their foot down and really push for, um, e- even, even in public disputes with Israel to ensure that there's quiet there, really fearing uh, a bigger explosion. And I think. In order to do that, though, I think they're what I was told from certain administration, one administration official, is that they might be willing to swallow certain um, policies in the West Bank, uh, that be it on settlement expansion. Uh, I don't think they're going to pu- publicly praise it or, or even. Um, not condemn it. But I think uh, as opposed to things like in Jerusalem or more extreme steps like annexation or legalization of outposts, those will be maybe where they put their foot down. But I think because they're going to have to pick their battles and Biden really is not interested according to officials I've spoken with in in any public disputes with Israel, he just wants to keep things calm. I would presume that essentially given this band of
0: brothers that Beebe has put together for his coalition, he essentially is going to be generally the face that is going to be talking to the Biden administration. In other words, we don't know yet. Exactly. You know, he's going to be the one, he has this relationship with Biden, but of course he's got to deal with who he has behind him. So that creates also a different kind of dynamic, one would presume.
1: Right. I mean, th- that will be the big question is how much Netanyahu is in control of his coalition partners, as opposed to them being in control of him. I think the fact that he's in some of these, this legal trouble, there is a question of whether maybe the, they'll actually be the ones controlling him. But for sure, Netanyahu is going to want to try to be the face of foreign policy in the past. He hasn't even appointed foreign ministers, so he can kind of be the one to be the diplomatic face of the country. Um, but I think because for Netanyahu that his I think his legacy issue is is the Abraham Accords and trying to strengthen that. He he re- he needs the Biden administration to do that. Um, the U.S. is critical in any sort of diplomatic or regional cooperation effort. Um, and I think he, will, he too will be willing to swallow or try to avoid public disputes. Um, and he'll find a common partner in Biden who doesn't want to do that, who doesn't want to have those kind of issues either. Um, but again, it'll depend on how much his coalition partners are able to control the narrative. Right. Okay. And then uh,
0: mentioning someone who came up just before, uh, former President Trump, who is being called out now for having dinner with Kanye. Known as Ye West, and uh, who is known for his anti-Semitic comments, and the known anti-Semite Nick Fuentes, but does Trump care that he's being called out? That's what I'm wondering.
1: It's a good question. Um, it doesn't seem, based off of what we're hearing, that he cares. I think uh, he was forced to issue the statement. After Kanye, I think he he didn't talk about this uh, at at the time. And then a couple days after the meeting, Kanye West tweeted out a video talking about how he had come to this meeting in order to ask Trump if he wanted to be his running mate, like his number two, um, in twenty twenty four. And then Trump yelled at him. And then he also mentioned that Trump thought Fuentes, who is this uh, nice fellow who's attended the 2017 Charlottesville uh, Unite the Right rally, he was at the January 6th storming of the Capitol, he said all all sorts of things about uh, the Holocaust and and downgrading the number of Jews that were killed, talking about Israel, the whole nine yards. Um, And this is a person that Kanye said that Trump thought was very, really impressive, um, and we saw quickly condemnations from Democrats and Jewish groups and, and also Republicans who have long criticized the president as well as some in the Senate, but less so among more hardline Republicans in the House. Um, but still, I think what's been noteworthy is seeing the Republican Jewish Coalition, which is a Jewish statement that's been very hesitant to criticize Trump in the past. They didn't mention Trump in the statement, but it did mention Kanye and Nick Fuentes and criticize anti-Semitism. But to go further, there was also David Friedman, who's a staunch uh, form, the former envoy and staunch supporter of the president, Elon Carr, this president's uh, special envoy on anti-Semitism, the Zionist Organization of America that just gave a big award to Trump. So these are people that don't like to criticize the president, but did find it important to do so. And I think that has to do with the fact that they're starting to see that there are, there might be another option for the party. And that uh, being Ron, De- Ron DeSantis, um, if you... Followed the Republican Jewish Coalition's conference a couple of weeks a week ago. It was clear that he was that the, the real um, star at the conference. As much as people had no issue applauding and and hyping up Trump, I think he was DeSantis was really the the main pick. Ironically, though, that this is also Fuentes's uh, main his preferred pick for twenty twenty four. He said that a couple of weeks ago. Um, so it, this wasn't a I think as much as Trump might not want to say it. I think this was a real. Um, A real blow to his campaign effort. There was one Trump uh, aide who told NBC News that the dinner was a effing nightmare. So I think they're, I think those around him are quite getting nervous. On the other hand, and this is the last thing I'll say, is that there's still about, Ron Campius, uh, JTA's correspondent, talked about that there's 30% of the party and there are Republicans that are still rallying around the president or the former president. And when you have 30% in a primary where everyone is split between 10 different candidates because everyone in the Republican Party wants to be the next nominee, 30% is more than enough to secure the nomination. So is this enough? This, this dinner enough to really change things? I don't think so. Um, but it'll depend on whether the rest of the party can maybe coalesce around another candidate, be DeSantis or someone else. Okay. We'll
0: see how that plays out. That's for sure. Thank you, Jacob, for your comments. And you too, Tal. Thank you for being on today's Daily Briefing. Thank you, Jessica. Thanks, Tal. Thanks, Jessica. Have a good day, everyone, and a good listen. And we'll be back with you tomorrow. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this -this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts.
3: And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or
0: Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time. Shalom.